and welcome to Diary of an Overcomer, the podcast that takes a look at the issues of addiction, domestic violence, and homelessness through the stories of women who have overcome them. Each episode, we highlight one issue and share a story of an overcomer, discussing the common questions people have and the possible solutions that are out there. I'm your host, Jen Harp, along with my co-host, Carol Patterson, the CEO of Shepherd's Gate, a nonprofit that helps women and children escape the cycles of addiction, homelessness, and abuse. Between the two of us, we have over 45 years' experience working with people who have struggled in these areas, and we both share a deep desire to help people overcome. So thank you for listening, and let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Diary of an Overcomer. It's your friends, Jen and Carol here. And today we have a very, 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 very special guest, April Poulter. April works at Shepherd's Gate and recently she has written a book about her recovery process. We're going to chit chat with her a little bit. Carol, you want to take it over? So Jen, I am so excited to um, start this episode because today we have, she's our residential coordinator supervisor. This last year, she wrote a book. It's called A Journey Through One Girl's Recovery. Um, And April, I've kind of (laughs) like read this book. I have so many notes. I have another 20 notes that I took off the front and I have them on my computer here. But I I love this book. You there's so many insights to your story of of how God carried you over to an overcomer and how you want to help other women. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and stuff, and what inspired you to write this book. Originally, I am from Oklahoma, and I grew up in a small town just south of Tulsa. My family was mixed. We had, you know, I had step parents and things like that. And so life was tumultuous, but um, eventually I I grew up, I got a job, I, um, you know, was being successful. And then I got into drugs and, you know, went down that path for about eight years. And when I finally got it together, I moved to Oklahoma City. I was in a program there in Oklahoma City. I really just dug into my recovery and sought the Lord. He was able to get through to me in a way that finally spoke to me to, you know, I didn't want to live that life anymore. So I was able to stay clean. I stayed in the Oklahoma City area and I began working at the program that I went to and got sober at. I've always like, I'm a creative writer. I've always loved writing. I've always loved creating. And I always had on my heart that I wanted to write a book. And I always felt really overwhelmed by that. I had a friend that wrote a book last year that was similar layout. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I've been journaling and I'm coming up on my 10 year sober anniversary and I've been journaling for 10 years. And my heart has been since I got sober, God called me to minister to women who are in recovery as well. And so my heart has always been to help the next person along in the journey. When I started putting this together, I was taking my journal entries starting from when I got sober to uh, up to now. And I got about, I don't know, maybe like three quarters of the way through. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just stopped. 
then for Christmas, I have a friend who has become like a dad to me. He's like a spiritual father to me. I realized that I wanted to know his story. So I sent him this journal and was like, will you um, share your story with me? And so he started doing that. And then we began sharing our stories with each other. I felt the Lord tugging me back to the book. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. So I, I finally buckled down and I got it. I only had like a year and a half left of entries to enter. And I, I finally um, buckled down and I got that done. And, and then I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, I'm done, but I have no, I've never published anything. I have no idea what to do. And I have a friend who actually does publishing, but um, it's really, really expensive. So she reached out to me when she saw my Facebook post and showed me um, how to self-publish on Amazon and walked me through those steps. And I was able to get someone to help me with the cover. I designed the cover, but someone else put it together for me. And then I also had someone who was able to format it for me. And then it was easy just to upload it to Amazon and self-publish. That is so great. And we'll have all the um, links uh, to the Amazon site so people can purchase the book. Awesome. But diving into a little bit more, I mean, you were a person that was believing all the lies that you were told. And I think that when people look at you, they see this normal Oklahoma girl. They have no idea how dark your world came. Um, And I'm sure that you use all that experience and that overcoming of your situation to inspire others. That Day in that courtroom, why don't you share a little bit about that? Because that was a turning point and what he had to say to you, that judge. Yeah, so um, I have been to a couple of different programs. And um, before I got into any programs, I had uh, acquired some charges, some felony charges. And so I had two cases running concurrent and I had went to a program I left the program. I was there about a year and I did not graduate. The judge had given me grace in that and was like, well, you're on probation. So they put me on a deferred sentence and then I relapsed and I could not get clean and I kept having dirty UAs. And they finally were able to put me back in jail from continuing to have dirty UAs on my probation. It was in jail that I finally had my surrender experience. And I remember laying on the bunk and I, the first program I had went to was a Christian program. So I, it was a discipleship program. I, so I knew the Lord. I knew what it meant to have a relationship with the Lord. I just didn't know what, how to fully surrender. And so I remember laying on that bunk and I remember just saying, okay, Lord, this is it. I'm at the end of me. And I had been at the end of me before, you know, I'd lost my, my living situation. I'd lost my car. I'd lost my family. And all of that was the same. But what was different this time was that I was finally at the end of me on the inside. I remember welcoming the Lord and surrendering to the Lord. And the feeling that came over me was indescribable. It was, I knew what it meant to be a new creation in that moment. And it was like one second I didn't. And the next second I did. And it was such a a thorough and radical change in me that I knew I would never be the same again. When I went into the courtroom, the judge looked at the DA and I was on a deferred sentence. So I went in there thinking that I would go on to a suspended sentence, which is still probation, no jail time, but the felony would stay on my record. Um, And that's the general progression in Oklahoma. I remember going in there and the judge 
looking at the DA and said, what do you want to do with her? And the DA looks at the judge and she says, I guess we're going to have to put her in prison. And I remember thinking, what? Like, that's not what's supposed to happen. And I just looked at my attorney and I had tears in my eyes and I just said, whatever it takes, because I'm done. I'm not going back. And if it means that I have to go to prison, then maybe there's people there that need to hear my story. The judge said he wanted to think about it. He sent me back to my cell. I remember I was reading through the book of Romans. And so when I had been in that discipleship program, I was supposed to do a Roman study and I could not understand Romans at all. And I remember just crying and crying and crying and saying, I just don't understand. I want to understand, but it doesn't make sense to me. And then when I had that surrender experience in jail, the Lord said, read Romans. And all of a sudden the whole book of Romans opened up to me. And so I was sitting there and I was reading Romans, just letting the Lord minister to me through that. And they called me back to the courtroom. This is a couple of days later. And the judge says, I'm not ready to give up on you. I'm going to send you to another program. And they sent me to the program that I was eventually able to get sober at. Yeah, you you specifically say those words, Gep. You took those words back to the jail. I'm not going to give up on you yet. Yet. And you were looking at eight years. I was, I was actually looking at two eight year sentences running oh. concurrent. So they would, they, it was 16 years total, but they would run concurrently. So it would have been eight years. Wow. And this was from dirty drug testing and, or was this for selling drugs or? My original, my original charges, the first charge was a second degree burglary. I had stolen some pills from a neighbor. And then the second charge was larceny of a dangerous drug, which I had stolen pills from my mom. Mm, mm, Wow. That is an amazing thing. I've heard that so often that God meets people at their jail cell and on the floor and praying to him. Well, it's funny because um, I always, I was like, I don't want to be a cliche. I don't want to be the one that said, oh, I met Jesus in a jail cell and then (laughs) live my own life. But really that is my story. That's where he met me. Mm. So what was different about this time, April, as far as you hitting your rock bottom? It was the, it was the emptiness on the inside. It wasn't just losing everything on the outside. It was that I was completely empty on the inside. I had nothing left. You walked out of that uh, courtroom that day. You must have been so overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. I remember they sent me back to the cell until they could find me a bed somewhere. I remember just praying and asking the Lord to bring the right place. And um, it was funny because the program that I went to was just it wasn't a faith based program. It was a 12 step program. I remember getting to the program and this girl was there who had been through this the same program I had been through before. And I was like, talking, I really connected with her and we were talking and I said, this is like my first or second day there. And I said, well, I'm, I really don't believe in the 12 steps. I got sober um, through Jesus and that's how I'm going to work my program and all these things. And I remember going to my bed that night and the Lord um, said to me, that was a lie. And I was like, what do you mean? And, And I had told her that I didn't like the 12 steps that my mom had kind of pushed it on me when I was younger Um, because that worked for her. And um, I said, uh, I was like, what do you mean, Lord? What do you mean that it was a lie? But it was more like through gritted teeth. (laughs) And so he showed me that the reason why I didn't like the 12 steps is because even though I had said multiple times, I'm an addict, I have a problem. I never meant that in my heart. I always just said it out of my mouth. And so 
um, when I started believing that um, I had a problem and I needed a savior and I needed help, that's when things really started to change. And I remember the next morning waking up and it was like the the doors of my mind were just opened. And the big book of AA talks about the promises where you intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle you. And it was, I had a tangible um, understanding of that. I love on, uh, on page 15 that you talk about your relapse prevention, your mission statement. Mm -hmm. Describe that to us. So one of our assignments in the program was to write a relapse prevention plan at the end of the program. And so this was written right before I graduated the program. One of the things that they did, uh, they had a program called uh, MAD and it was called Made a Decision. It was kind of like a leadership program within the program. This piece was kind of birthed from that Made a Decision program. And so I made some decisions. And so it says, I have made a decision to put my recovery first always, to be rigorously honest regardless of the consequences, to do whatever it takes, to give up my right to be right, to change everything, to surrender daily, to get a sponsor and work the steps, to read the literature, to call my sponsor often, to be open-minded and willing, to work with others even when it's inconvenient, to move forward in my recovery no matter how hard it gets. If I've learned anything through this experience, it's that impression without expression causes depression, or in my case, leads to relapse. I can have all the knowledge in the world and it will do me no good if I don't make the decision to apply it. If I don't take action, preventative action, the knowledge is wasted and for nothing. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead, James 2.17. My faith alone will not carry me through this journey of recovery. I have to take action as well. I have to work it. This is where the programs of Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous have become a way of life for me. The steps must no longer be mere suggestions, but the narrow path that leads to life. Honesty can no longer be an option for me. It must become part of my character a part of who I am all of the time. Open-mindedness and willingness can no longer be fickle feelings passing through. They must become the attitude of my heart regardless of how I feel. The third step prayer has to become ingrained in my spirit. I no longer have all the answers and I no longer have, all, have to have all the answers. The fear of relinquishing control will be countered by the relief of being guided by my higher power. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember him in everything you do, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. My relapse prevention plan has, has changed over the years and looks different depending on what I'm dealing with. But um, the fundamentals of, you know, putting God first and um, surrendering to him daily stay the same. That is so good. And you're... You are so faithful today to walk women through their step work and to help them through the AA and NA process. It's one of your gifts because you've been there. It's real for you and you inspire to share that with others. You have a tat on your shoulder. Yes. Can you explain that to the audience? 
it's my sobriety date and everybody in recovery says, do not get your sobriety date tattooed on you. (laughs) Um, But it says redeemed and it has uh, at the end of the word, uh, there's some birds flying away and it's two, one, 13 is my sobriety date. That is so cool. And you have a photo of that in the book on your shoulder. The other photo I love in the book of you is you wrote on your hand, God's girl. Mm Mm-hmm. What's that about? It was a Christmas party at the program. I was I was already a staff member at that time. And we did an annual Christmas party with my good friend, Sina. And um, she would always do these great, elaborate parties. And um, she would always do pictures for everybody. And so everybody was taking pictures. But I, at that time, I wasn't allowed to take pictures with residents. And so they were all taking pictures together. And I didn't have anybody to take a picture with. And I was like, you know what? I don't need anybody because I'm God's girl. So I wrote on my hand and took a picture. Oh, that is so good. Fast forward, you come from Oklahoma and you search on a website for a place called Shepherd's Gate. What what was that about? My husband and I, when we met, um, we talked about what that would look like for me to move here. And one of the things we talked about, I loved my job so much, I could not imagine leaving my job. And so it took a lot of prayer and a lot of coaxing from the Holy Spirit for me to make the decision to move. And so I have some, some of his family is affiliated with another program and they shared with me about Shepherd's Gate. I got online, I was looking up about Shepherd's Gate and I saw that you minister to women and women with children. Well, I have at the time, no experience with children and no desire to work with children. So I kind of like, I looked into it and the position that was available didn't suit uh, what I was looking for. The pay wasn't right for what we knew we were going to need. And so I was like, no, I'm not really interested in that. And so I just kind of put it on the back burner and I started looking at other jobs. But I was really sad because there was no other programs in the area that fit what I was looking for. And so I was looking for just clerical and administrative jobs. And I was just every time I would look and I would apply for something, my heart would just sink because that's not what I wanted to do. And I knew it wasn't what God called me to do. Then the pandemic hit. At first, before the pandemic hit, my husband said, well, maybe you can come here and you can just look for work. You you don't have to work right away. And I was like, okay, that I've never done that, but okay, I'm open to that. And then the pan- when the pandemic hit and jobs were so scarce, he said, there's no way you have to have a job. And I was like, okay. And the God brought back up Shepherd's Gate. And I was like, no, I don't want to work there. I don't want to work with kids. I don't know how to do that. It was the same position. The hours weren't right. And so I talked to my husband and he said, you know, I really feel like this is what God's leading you to do. I think that we'll make it work. And I was like, okay. So I applied. I got really nervous in my interviews because they asked me how to handle situations with kids. And I'm like, I just was honest. I was like, honestly, I really don't know. You're going to have to teach me that. Uh, I can do the other stuff. I just don't know about the kids. And so they offered me the position. We made a plan to move and we we got here uh, the end of May and I started here at Shepherd's Gate the beginning of June. And it was so crazy because the Lord orchestrated everything. We didn't have a place when I first moved here. I told him, I said, we'll live with, uh, he was living with his mom. I said, we can live with your mom for one month, no more. Then someone gave us, we, he had a car, someone gave us another car. So we would have two vehicles 
And then the Lord provided like within, we were with his mom for 28 days and we, some, the Lord provided housing for us. And then I got uh, a promotion to a case management position here. And that gave me the raise I needed to make our ends meet. And then right after that, he got a promotion and got a raise that put us above what we needed. And so God really just orchestrated all that and really showed out. It was, it was a huge step for me to to drop everything, my entire support system, everything I knew and move halfway across the country, basically for a man that I barely knew. I mean, at this point we had been um, in a relationship for like two years, but still it was long distance. And so if one of my residents had come to me, I would have told them they were crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I just really, it took a lot of faith and a lot of trust in God to, um, really know that he was bringing me to the right place. And and my life, as good as my life was there, it has been uh, abundantly better here. And now what do you do in your role here? I'm the residential coordinator supervisor. So this is my first official supervisory position in my whole career. And I supervise the RCs, the residential coordinators. I help help out with uh, resident needs, you know, when uh, do direct care with the residents still. Um, and sometimes with the kids, but Shepherd's Gate has taught me a lot of how to work with kids. So, and, and a part that God has placed you into is that first responder role. Um, you are part of the intake team and you head up intake and you talk to many of these women that have struggled exactly how you struggled in life. And you're that encourager, that first encourager to talk with them. What's that like? Absolutely. And I think that um, my history of having gone to program and knowing how overwhelming it is to to get all that information and to take that first step is really helpful. Shepherd's Gate, it's really funny because I wasn't very hospitable when I first came here. That was just something that... um, that Shepherd's Gate has really taught me how to really be warm and hospitable and more Hmm. relational with people, which is a little bit crazy, but I have learned a lot since I've been here. And so um, my approach with uh, intake has been to um, really just be a listening ear. And even if it's someone that isn't an appropriate fit for Shepherd's Gate, it's being able to be empathetic to their situation and be able to offer hope um, where they may not have any. I turn that back to your book and the first couple chapters and really first how you start off and the surrender of, I need help. I need someone to care and I need someone to listen. You talk about how important that is for a woman in crisis. And that's where you are today. You are that first person that's going to care about them and listen and I doubt if most people know what your your overcomer story is, that God saved you. Yeah. I love the statement, your purpose in life. Do you want me to read it or do you want to read it? Yeah, you can read it. Purpose in life to bring God's hope, love, and healing into broken lives of women, wherever that might be. Even in a pat on a podcast, you can be an encouraging light that God is using right now. Because if someone's struggling with addiction or the step work, um, what would you have to say to our audience right now? I would say, don't give up. 
because the life you want is on the other side of stuff that you don't want to do. You are amazing, April. And I love your overcomer story. And I see you, I see you helping women all the time with their AA and and getting their steps and getting a sponsor. It takes some God brings you alongside women that are struggling because yes. it's not easy. Thank Absolutely. you for for being brave enough to tell your story um and in a book and that God is there you are not uh, you are not done yet. That's right. So cool. Blessings to you April. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to share and God uh, spoke to me right in the beginning about transparency and just being real and so um I try to I try to carry that in my life and in my work. And so this book is just another step in the direction that I feel like God's been calling me in all along. Before we close out here, do you have a favorite story of working with a woman that you can share? Oh my goodness. Um, so many, uh, th- there's too many to count. Like I couldn't even pick one. So some of the pieces in the book, that are um, written about, they say she or her are typically um, about residents. Like uh, someone was in front of me and what will happen is the Lord will show me things and and I'll be able to write later, uh, drop a phrase or a word in my spirit and I'll be able to write about them later. And so there's so many of those in the book that are um, uh, visions that the Lord gave me for the residents that were in front of me at that time. And I have so many really great stories and so many hard stories that I wouldn't even begin to know where to start. I love them all. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, thank you so much for, for taking time and sharing with us. We'll do what we can to get this, your story out there about this book. That's so, that's such an accomplishment, huge accomplishment. And so pray that God uses it and takes it far and wide and helps a lot of people, women and men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate you both. Thank you, April. Um, Thank you so much. If you found this podcast helpful, please do us a favor and hit subscribe. And then in the comment section, please feel free to share your own story of overcoming. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to next time.